We'll get cranked up on Hebrews this morning. Uh, just turn to the first first chapter, and we'll we'll go where where we're going. Now, uh, we normally start off these things with talking about authorship in the book. And before I get there, uh, Art and I, Art and I. <laughs> We don't know anything except what we've read and what we've studied. So we we ask that you understand that and and uh, and pray for us as we go. The two books that I'm using, which is kind of my fallback, uh, I'm using Ray Stedman's commentary in Hebrews and Chuck Swindoll's Insights for Living in Hebrews. Two guys that that. Um, talk on my level <laughs> uh, I can understand and they're they're very good and so these are the two guys that I'll be following um, and um, and and uh, sharing from you as we get into the book um, if you want to do some independent study and I would encourage you to do that uh, go to blueletterbible.com and uh, I'm not sure if it's .com or, or org but Blue Letter Bible, and there's a there's a commentary there by David uh, uh, Yusik. Thank you. I've been practicing that word all day, and I <laughs> hadn't got it yet. But it's very good. He's also down to earth. Uh, so Blue Letter uh, Blue Letter Bible, and I I I, I like that. Okay. Uh, Turn with me now to, to Hebrews chapter 1. Now, uh, when you turn to Hebrews, uh, there's more times than not, there's a, um, there's a, a heading right above the, the chapter. This little Bible I've got says, The Epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Hebrews. How many of your Bible says says that? Nobody? Brenda's does. Huh? Anybody else has it in there? Yeah. I don't have it in the text, but I have it in, in, in the entrance to explain what it is. Okay. Well, Paul probably did not write it. <laughs> that's that's one of those things, you know, that we we uh, we get into. But uh, um, the authorship, um, the bottom line is we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Um, but uh, we have a couple of things. Uh, ESV Study Bible says that it could be Paul. Uh, it could be Paul that's been transcribed by Luke. It's Barnabas. It could be Luke himself. Or it could be Apollos. The NIV Study Bible says it could be Paul. But the writing style is much different than Barn uh, much different. It could be Barnabas or it could be Apollos. And this is what Chuck Swindoll says. He says, "Who wrote the epistle is known to God alone. Uh, the author, whoever he was, was a magnificent stylist with an immense vocabulary and a vast knowledge of the Greek Old Testament." The Greek Old Testament was called, does anybody know? 
the Septuagint. Septuagint. That's the Greek Old Testament. Uh, Though we can't be sure of the identity of the writer in Hebrews, we do know that the author was personally known to the original audience and he was associate of Timothy, one of Paul's protégés. We have that in the latter verses of of the book of Hebrews. Ray Steadman goes a little bit further than than the, the, the rest of them with who wrote who wrote uh, uh, Hebrews, and if you'll bear with me, uh, we'll we'll go there. He said a standing joke at seminary I attended for students who asked one one another who wrote the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. Okay, <laughs> it was admittedly a weak humor on par with who was buried in Grant's tomb. But it served to raise a primary question by Hebrews. Who actually wrote this brilliant treatise on the person and the work of Christ that has been a part of our New Testament from the beginning? It is not an anonymous letter since the original recipients clearly knew the writer, but nowhere does he divulge his name. Uh, some tradition says Barnabas was an author, and Luke had translated, excuse me, was an author. Paul had written, some thought Paul had written it to the Hebrews to be translated by, by Luke, um, but it seems too elegant of a translation. Uh, we see, we shall see in the commentary the internal evidence of, of Hebrews argues strongly against Paul's authorship. But the theology and the thinking of Paul are everywhere in the letter. This suggests one is a close associate of Paul. So the four candidates for authorship are Barnabas, Silas, Luke, and Apollos. The first three traveled with Paul extensively and were godly men well known to many throughout the early church. But neither Barnabas or Silas appeared in the New Testament as capable of writing such a treatise as Hebrews. Barnabas wavered theologically at Antioch. We saw that when we went through Acts. Um, he was a warm, loving, encouraging, but not a spokesman or a teacher. You remember when he went to... to, uh, to uh, <laughs> um, city just left me. But uh, he said... Um, he said... They wanted to know about him. He said, well, I don't really know uh, right now, but let me go find Paul. So he went, he went and, f- and found Paul. Um, and, uh, little is known about Silas. The only really thing we know about, uh, about Silas is that he traveled with Paul, and we, we know about them in the, in the Philippian jail. Uh, Luke has also been proposed, but he surely knew Paul's thinking, but he he did not appear in scripture as doctrinal teacher or pastor but rather as a historian and we we know that Uh, Luke was very much a historian and that leaves us the most likely author Apollos now remember this is Stedman writing he was a Jew from Alexandria where the Septuagint originated and was widely employed as we shall see, Hebrews quotes the Septuagint without exception, and several scholars have been inf- influenced. Luther, that's Martin Luther, felt that Apollos wrote Hebrews. 
The question remains for debate and will certainly never be settled until the writer himself in glory makes it certain. So, uh, that's, that's what we know about the authorship of, of the book of Hebrews. Now, turn to any, any epistle that Paul wrote. Any epistle. He wrote 13. He wrote 13, and the verse, very first word in all 13 of his epistles was Paul. He started off with Paul. James wrote one. He started off with James. Peter wrote two. He started off with Peter. Jude wrote one. He started off with Jude. What's the first word of the first chapter of Hebrews? God. God wrote Hebrews. Okay? God wrote Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it, but we know it was very inspiring. <clears throat> Both Swindoll and Stedman says that if we didn't have if we didn't have Hebrews in our canon, we would be a whole lot worse off because Hebrews sheds much, much light on the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And, and we'll see that when we go through. We'll go back. We're going to do that this morning, but we, we'll go back to um, the Old Testament just a lot and and the proof that the writer is trying to get to is what we've got at the top of the page of the little page I, I, I gave you. Do you all have a copy of that? It starts off there that Jesus is better. He's greater. He's more. And you could add any other adjective you want to than the old covenant. It's all about what Jesus is as compared to the Old Covenant. So let's look at chapter, chapter 1, verse 1, and we probably, well, I know, if I get through it, I'll be lucky. But anyway, uh, let, let me read that in just the first few words in, in chapter 2. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son so we see that 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 the very beginning here is god and i'm going to i'm going to focus on on three words here that are in the first the first uh, verse i'm going to look at god I'm going to look at fathers and I'm going to look at prophets. We could go back and, and look at spoke. Uh, we, could, we could do a lot more and maybe Art will pick that up next week. But, but uh, let's look at this. If you'll follow in the sheet that I gave, I gave you and I've also given some of you uh, scriptures to read that go along with it. So if you would, Velter, would you give Jim and when I copy. Uh, so let's let's start off with God, okay? The Father, the first part of the Trinity. 
Okay? For I am God and there is no other. <clears throat> Who's got number one? Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Isaiah said it time and time and time again. I am God and there is no other. You've heard me say, and I'll continue to say, that everything that we know about the Christian life is in the pages of this book. Great men, Stedman and Swindoll, have written some great stuff, but it doesn't compare to what's in this book. Everything we know about the Christian life is in this book. If you want to argue Scripture, get a good translation, and that's in this book. So everything we know is in this book about the Christian life. So God, and it, it's, it's, it's an assumption that sometimes we all make, you know, that we all know who God is. And yet there are uh, three words here that pretty much describe who God is. And I'll, I'll read here. Even those, those words are, these words are not used in the Bible to describe God. The Bible is full of truths and examples that prove these three old words are accurate characteristics of God. Omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Omniscient, having complete and unlimited knowledge, awares and understanding, perceiving all things. The psalmist wrote about uh, omniscient and omnipresent very beautifully in Psalms 139. Who's got number two? Okay. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Omniscient, having complete and unlimited knowledge. Omnipresent, present everywhere at the same time. And the writer of Psalms picks up, who's got number three? Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, Present everywhere. Omnipotent, almighty and or infinite in power, having great or unlimited authority or power. 
his omnipotence shows out all through scripture I I was thinking about what what is the what is the best scripture I could come up with to show God's omnipotence and I chose the first and second chapter of Genesis he he spoke this world in existence he just spoke it in existence then God said let there be light and there was light then God said let there be expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters then God said let the waters below the heavens gather into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so God called the dry land earth gathering of the waters he called sea and God saw that it was good then God said let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit of its kind then God said there to let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be as a sign for seasons and for days and for years then God said let the water teem with swarms of living creatures uh, then God said let the earth bring forth living creatures then God said let us make man in our image and then God said uh, it was very good and the evening and the morning was the sixth day and then God created man and woman out of dust according to what he said and Art can attest to the fact that we've been trying to find out what all God did in our magnificent bodies since then he practices medicine because he hadn't got it down yet <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's God's omnipotence he is God Velton and I just got through reading uh, Chronicles and outside of all those terrible names of the kings you keep coming back to the same fact that the kings that obeyed him God honored him the kings that didn't obey him he didn't and even on the end when we had some good kings the damage was already done and we just got through talking about it in Daniel he used the Babylonians to ultimately finally whip discipline the children of Israel and here we are on this side of the cross and we're looking at Hebrews about what God did and how magnificent is the new covenant okay so the very first word God and he spoke long ago to the fathers to the fathers now 
the family of Abram. <clears throat> Who's got verse <clears throat> verse four? Verse 5. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country like of their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish them, the nation that they serve that they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will, afterwards they will come out with great possessions. Number six. And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. Thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. The theme of the Bible from the very beginning to the very end is redemption. God put in place a plan of redemption. And he chose Abram. Later his name was changed to Abraham to be, <clears throat> to be the human family that God would redeem us. Now, when you get the glory, you can ask the Lord why he chose them. But he did. He chose them. And his hand is on them. And just like we finished up with Daniel, he has yet to finally deal with the Jews. And he will in his own time. So they started out as a family. He started off with one name, Abram, Abraham, which the Jews keep going back. You remember when we were in Romans, they keep going back to Father Abraham. Father Abraham. Father Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had how many children? Two. We don't know. Huh? We don't know. One. One. Isaac. 
Isaac. They had Isaac. So the next part of the family tree there is Isaac. Yeah. I said Sarah and Abraham had one child. Yeah. And God says, everything that Abraham has, I will give to Isaac. And the promise of a land that I'll show you. So who's got number seven? Then the Lord spoke unto Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And the appointed time of which God had spoken to him, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, and he was eight days old as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old and his son Isaac was born. Okay. God's omnipotent. He was 100 years old when he, gave, when he had that child. Isaac had two children. He had Esau. He had Jacob. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. So this is still part of the family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Who's got number eight? Isaac was 40 years old when he took the of his wife, daughter of the two, Sarah, and the Syrian of Adam, Aaron, the sister of Latin and Syria. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea. And Rebekah his wife conceived, for the children struggled together within her. And she said, If all was well, why am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from his body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall give, shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. It was like a hairy garment over her, all, I mean all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and said in his hand, took hold of Esau's heel, so his name would be called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore So we had Esau and Jacob, twins. Family, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed. Who's got number nine? story that he was on his way to see his brother and he wrestled with the Lord the Lord changed his name from Jacob to Israel 
I think I've told you this many times. I'll tell you one more time. That I grew up in a Baptist church and was in Sunday school. And I heard the Jews, the children of Israel, Jacob's seed. I heard all these terms. And I was in college before it finally dawned on me that they were talking about the same group of people. That was oh happy day for me. That I finally understood that there was the same folks they were talking about, you know. Sometimes I think something simple, we we don't explain it. Or I missed it. I might have been whittling or something when I was supposed to be listening. But anyway, uh, I didn't hear it. So that's that. So Israel. And then there was a nation. Genesis 49 tells us about his children. Israel, Jacob. We use the term interchangeably. But the nation of Israel came from Jacob's 12 sons by four different wives. And you have them listed there. And we, you hear all through Scripture, we're talking about Reuben and, Sib and, and Simeon and Issachar and Naphtali and Asher and Joseph and Benjamin and Judah and all of these boys. And they had sordid lives of their own and yet they were tribes. And when Joshua went, up, went uh, to, to go into the land that they would... Uh, they would uh, have the proportion of the land of the tribes was very important. And that's where we are today. Paul. What tribe was Paul from? What did he trace his, his lineage back to? He was a Benjamite. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was very proud of the fact of that. So, the Father. God spoke to the fathers. He spoke to Abraham, he spoke to Isaac, he spoke to Jacob, he spoke to Israel, he spoke to all his 12 sons, and, and that was a family. So let's read the verse again. God, after he spoke a long ago to the fathers, to all these people that we just have just talked about, uh, in the prophets, in the prophets, now let's look at the prophets a little bit, and I got to hurry. Moses. Okay, who's got number 10? And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Beor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. Verse 10. But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Okay. That's the first time the word prophet is used to describe Moses. He was a prophet. Okay. When they came out of the Red Sea and they were wandering in the wilderness and God said, I want you to build a meeting place for me, a tent. They called it a tabernacle and I want you to institute the priesthood. The priesthood. Who's got number 11? Put 
Aaron your brother and all his sons with him, and you shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve you as priests. God says you institute the order of the priest. And I'm going to give it to the tribe of Levi. Moses was from the tribe of Levi. His brother Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. And Levi was, excuse me, Aaron was the very first high priest. And that instituted an order. And it was true. That's what happened. All the way down uh, through through the Old Testament to a point. And we're going to say a little bit about that. Who's got number 12? The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. The Lord didn't call Joshua a prophet, but he succeeded Moses. And through everybody that knew Joshua and the elders that were with Joshua, God honored, honored them. If you look at the very last verse of the Judges, he says there was no king in Israel and everything, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Okay, who's got number 13? And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do the thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not believe them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. All Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. Okay. Eli, priest. God says the priesthood has been corrupted. That's and it had, as evidenced by Eli's own children. And as as uh, <clears throat> she just read in verse verse ten, uh, excuse me, in verse eleven. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. What was he about to do? He was about to eliminate the order of the priesthood. But he said, Samuel. Now, God told that, that Moses was a prophet. Most people consider Samuel as the very first prophet. And then we had a whole line of prophets, as we know. We just spent a year studying Isaiah. We just spent a while studying Daniel. Both considered prophets. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the minor prophets. They were the heartbeat and they were the the spiritual spiritual conscience for Israel. For Israel. So, let's go back to Hebrews number 1 again, verse 1 again. God, who is infinite, after He spoke long ago to the fathers, 
started out as a family. They went down to Egypt, 70 people are dead and 12 boys and their family and they came out 436 years later, millions. They were a nation there. So God spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets. These prophets from, from, uh, from Moses to the priesthood to Joshua to Samuel and everybody that followed Samuel as a prophet. But let's look at the rest of the verse. God spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In these last days has spoken to us in His Son. Hebrews is all about Jesus. He is better, more, greater than anything. Jesus is superior. And we'll see that in subsequent weeks as we go through the book of Hebrews. I'm late, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for all you are. We thank you for this time and we thank you for your blessings to us. We thank you for this day. We ask that you'd be with the people that are not with us. Be with Janet and Phil as they drive back to MUSC this morning. Be with them. Wrap your arms of love around them. Encourage them. Love them unto yourself. And Father, today as we listen to the word preached, may we have open ears and open hearts to thus saith the Lord. Be with every prayer pre uh, prayed and every song sung, every word of the Lord that's preached, and may we be faithful to act on what we hear, and we'll be careful to give you the praise. In Jesus' name we ask it.